I hope you have a Bible with you this morning and I want you to invite you to take it out and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be at during our time together in the Word this morning. Hopefully when you came in you got a copy of a bulletin, hopefully from Ron. On the back of that there'll be some notes if you want to look at that through our time together in the Word. They'll be behind me on the screen but if you want to follow along with me as we take notes as we walk through God's Word Together, We've been walking through this letter of Ephesians on Sunday mornings and the emphasis has been is how do we grow as a church. We think about how do plants grow, we think about how children grow, but when we think about our spiritual walk or our spiritual faith or even just how we grow together as a church, how is it that we grow with one another? And there's lots of people out there that have ideas or suggestions on how we can increase attendance or maybe how we can increase, let's say, the money or the giving, but I want to know, and what we've been studying through Ephesians is how it is that we grow spiritually, grow spiritually individually and also grow spiritually collectively together. And so we are going to continue walking through Ephesians 5 as Paul is giving us instructions as a church on how it is that we grow together. Uh, Some of you, this may date you a little bit, but it was 1984 when a movie was released. Now I would just like to assume that everybody in the room knows the movie I'm talking about, so I'm going to have to explain it. So those of you that know the movie, just say, yeah, we understand what he's talking about. But in 1984, there was a movie that was released. The main character in the movie was named Daniel LaRusso. And in this movie, he is being picked on by some bullies at in, in the town, at school. And so in, a, in an attempt to try to defend himself, he decides that he needs to learn some martial arts in order to defend himself. Now I realize there are lots of different types of uh, training when it comes to martial arts. All I knew growing up was there was just one, and that was karate. And so in this movie called The Karate Kid, Daniel LaRusso employs a, a person to help teach him the art of karate so then he can defend himself against these bullies. Well, he gets there, and you remember in the movie, if you've seen it, the, the teacher, his, uh, his mentor says, okay, well, I'm going to have you painting a fence. And it seemed like all day, all night, the next day, he's out there and he is just painting this fence. He gets that done. He thinks, okay, finally, this guy's going to teach me some karate. The guy comes back and it, it's been a long time, but I think he talks and tells him he's going to have to wash his cars. And so he goes out and he has to wash the cars. And there's a whole bunch of cars and he gets done washing the cars and he thinks, okay, now's the guy is going to teach me some karate. Well, then the guy says, now you get to wax the cars. And that's where you get the famous wax on, wax off line that everybody that has seen the movie thinks about. And so he goes through those stages and so he finally thinks, okay, now I finally get to learn some karate and then he gives him something else to do and Daniel gets to the point that he's he's so frustrated he's like I've done all of these chores but you haven't taught me what I came here to learn and you remember that very pivotal point in that movie that then he testing and because of all the muscle memory and because of all the repetitious activity he had already learned moves that he didn't know he had learned In other words, what was taking place was is he was developing some of these disciplines and he was already learning some of these moves without even realizing it. I don't know know about you, but there's sometimes in our Christian walk that we wonder, God, why do we have to do it like this? God, why do we got to go to church? God, why are we supposed to read our Bible? God, why are we supposed to pray? God, why are we supposed to give? God, why are we supposed to sacrifice of our time? God, why are we supposed to do all these things? And sometimes, if you're not careful, you can start to think, well, God just has all of these motions he's wanting me to go through, but God, what, what are you trying to do through all that? God, where is all of this going? 
And sometimes we miss the point that God may be bringing practices and disciplines in our lives for something he is planning on doing with us in the future. So here in the text this morning, Paul is really just going to summarize two verses where we're going to look at. We're going to look at verse 1 and verse 2 here in chapter 5. And he's really just going to summarize, okay, all these things that Paul has been talking about. The choices that we make, the daily choices that we make, talking about in Ephesians chapter 4. The character of the believer and the reasons why we must guard our character and practice our character out of Ephesians 4 last week. Where are all of these things headed to? Paul gives us in two succinct points, this is the purpose. This is the point. This is why you do all of these things in the Christian life is because you see that at the top of your notes, the goal of our faith and practices is not the busyness of life, but it's the godliness that God is calling us to. So Daniel LaRusso in the movie Karate Kid, he is sitting there and he is going through all these activities and he's starting to wonder, what's the point? What's the purpose? What am I getting out of this? Where is this trying to achieve? And sometimes in our Christian life, we can start to have the same ideas. God, why does it matter if I go to church? God, why does it matter if I read my Bible? God, why does it matter if I go to Sunday school? Why does it matter if I show up on Wednesday nights? Why does it matter if I stay awake? Why does it matter if I have a good attitude? Why does it matter if I smile? Why does it matter if I listen? Why does any of this matter? But notice what Paul, as he's writing here to this church in verse 1 and verse 2, he tells them what the point of their practice is for. In verse 1, he makes this statement. He says, therefore, now he's tying this in to what he previously said in chapter 4, but starting in verse 1 and in chapter 5, he says, therefore, be imitators of God. In other words, the first practice that he gives us that produces that godliness, that tends us, that sends us towards godliness, is that we imitate God. Can you just imagine somebody looking at you and saying, be like God, imitate God. But that is what Paul is telling us to do. He is telling us that we are to act like, talk like, think like, respond like. We are to be like God. I know the pushback, the pushback that I get all the time is that saying, well, Spence, but you're not God. And you know what? I have children and I'm looking at young people right now and I'm even looking at adults right now and none of us are God. I get that. But Paul says the goal of this Christian life, the goal of our faith and practice is for us to be imitators of God. Now, an imitator is just somebody that tries to look like, talk like, act like, be like. You want to be just like that person. And so you have people that will put on the clothes, they'll put on the outfit, they'll listen to the music and they'll watch the movies and they'll try to do everything so they can be just like that person. Paul says in our Christian life, the reason why we're going through these practices, the reason why we're going through the activities. The reason why we're doing these things is so we can look and be and talk and act, respond. We can be just like God. The pushback we have is twofold. On one hand, somebody may say, well, Spence, I can't be like God, so what's the point? Think about a basketball player. That basketball player gets on that court and when they take that shot, do they only take the shot because they know it's going to go in? They take the shot because they know that it may go in, it may not go in, but they know the only shots that will go in are the shots that are taken. 
They know the only way that you're going to score points is by making baskets. And the only way you're going to be my basket, making baskets is by making attempts. You get people that will get up and they will sing. And even though they recorded this song, Greg and I were talking about this morning, the Night Riders Lament. And, and who was that originally recorded the song? But people will come along and they will sing songs and record songs. Even I have songs that I love to sing. Even though I can't sing even close to the original, it doesn't stop me from trying. And yet in our Christian life, so many times we just say, well, I can't be like God, so I'm not even going to make the attempt. I'm not even going to try it. And there's one pushback to say, well, what's the point, Spence? I can't be like God. Well, the point is that God has called us to imitate Him. So it's not a matter whether you can or whether it's a matter that you want to. It's a matter that God has called us to imitate Him. The other pushback people will say is, well, that just seems a little bit sacrilegious. That seems a little bit fishy if I'm supposed to act like God. Isn't God supposed to be high? Isn't God supposed to be other? I want you to listen to 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 13, Peter writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Verse 16, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter reminds the reader. Peter reminds the church that we are to be holy because God is holy. So when Paul comes in here in verse 1 and he says, Therefore, be imitators of God. We understand that many of the things that we do in our daily life is not meant to be so that we look better than one another or so that people look at us. It's so that we look more like God. And that's what we should be doing. We should be doing the kind of things that don't necessarily bring attention to ourselves or make us different than other people. The things that we should be doing is so that people see God in us. Now why, Spence? Paul gives us the command. He gives us the expectation. Therefore, he says, be imitators of God. But then he gives us the reason why we should be imitators. He goes on there in verse 1 and he says, as beloved children. He makes this connection that the reason why we should desire, we should prioritize, we should purpose to be like God, to imitate God, is because the children reflect their parents. Now I realize that that's not always true 100% of the time in today's age, but I'm going to tell you, it's eerily true when you think about it. And that can be a little bit bit concerning to people like me, that the children actually reflect their parents. So Ezra starts acting like a knucklehead, Ezra starts acting like Ezra does, and you know what? It's all his mama's fault, but I'm still a part in there someplace. I I know that's how that works, but I have still got some part to play because the children reflect their parents. And so Paul is saying right here in verse 1, he says, as beloved children. So he's saying, because you're a child of God, you are to reflect God. Then you may be thinking to yourself, well, how is it that we are supposed to reflect God? Or more importantly, Spence, how it is, how is it that we are children of God? God. Well, I want you to hold your finger there in Ephesians chapter 5, and I want you to turn back with me to John chapter 1. Turn back with me to John chapter 1, and we're going to stay in John for the next few moments because John gives us several different pictures about what this looks like, being children of God. You turn back to John chapter 1, and starting there in verse 11, it says this, talking about Jesus. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but verse 12. But do 
But to all, but to all who did receive it, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John is reminding us there in his gospel when it comes to Jesus, when Jesus came and we responded by faith, when we trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we became children of God. And being children of God, now we have a responsibility to reflect who our Father is. You fast forward here to John chapter 8 and we see this picture where he talks about the idea of that in our lives we'll reflect who we belong to. You get down to verse 39 all the way down through verse 47 and there's a whole section there that Jesus is coming to his people and he is saying, I am of the Father and I am Abraham's Father. And the people come and say, how in the world can you be how can you be in that lineage of Abraham because we are and you're not acting like us and Jesus comes in and says no if you were Abraham's children then you would act like Abraham but you're not acting like Abraham's children you're acting like Satan's children and they get mad at the last part. They says that they're going to stone him. And it says that he went out from him. That's verse 59 of chapter 8. So they picked up stones to throw at him. The, the danger is that in this day and age that we're living in, people will act like their children. Or I'm sorry, the children will act like their parents. And, and we are living in a day and age that we are reflecting that which we look to, not only as our spiritual father, but our physical father. And sometimes we miss that connection when it comes to our lives, that our lives are reflective of who we belong to. In other words, that we are living our worship. And so the life that we live today is pointing people to who we belong to. And the, the shenanigans that we pull in our daily lives will teach other people how to pull shenanigans in their lives. The examples that we give today will point people to who we are following after and what we are following after. And so Paul comes right here in Ephesians 5 and he goes and he looks at them and says, you are to imitate God because you are children of God. Now the reality is, is that not every single one of us in this room is most likely saved. There may be one, two or more in this room right now that if you were to die at this moment, you would spend eternity in hell. Now, in no way do I want you to question your salvation or try to scare you into making a decision, but I do want to tell you that unless you are born again, forgiven of your sins by your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, God is not your spiritual father in the sense that you're not his child. So when you die and you stand before in judgment and you will go to hell... And the way that you know that is by the life that you're living today. But when we trust in God, when we believe in Jesus Christ, when we repent of our sins, confess our sins, and turn to Him, we now become His children and we have that eternal promise of heaven forever. But the caveat is, is that when we know that we're bought again, when, we're, when, we, when we have been bought by the blood, we know that we have been born again. Therefore, that gives us that new nature. It gives us that new desire. And therefore, when we know that Jesus is our Lord, that God is our, our Heavenly Father, we know that we want to do everything that we can to act like God, to live like God, to look like God, and to reflect Jesus to a watching world. 
But unfortunately, we've gotten into society today where people think that they can go and they can say a prayer and they can go through the motions and they can be saved and they can live like however they want for the rest of their days. And they think that it doesn't matter how they live Monday through Saturday. The only thing that matters is, is they made a decision 20 years ago and that is sufficient. And Paul wants to remind us that we will practice like we live. We will practice like we play. And if you want to look at your life Monday through Saturday, it will reflect the condition of your heart. So that's why he says the point of our practicing, the point of your sacrifice and the point of your disciplines, the point of your activities on a daily basis is because they show who or what you are going to imitate. So he tells us there the first thing is to, do, is to imitate God. The reason why we do the things that we do in this Christian life is so that we may imitate God. But then he goes on in verse 2 and he gives us a second practice, a second practice that produces godliness and he puts it like this and walk in love now the danger is is in our English language pretty much we have one word for love but if you go back to the biblical language in the Greek they had at least four if not more different words for love all these words meant something different so they could use whatever Greek word there that is translated in our English as love they could use it but they understood that there were different definitions different kinds different measures of love but here in this English translation Paul just simply says and walk in love he's looking at them and saying this is why you are doing what you are doing so that therefore you can walk in love in other words when you think about this idea of walking it's not just a tangible matter that I just walk to the door he's using the walk here talking about your life your behavior your speech your conduct your priorities your decisions everything the way we live is our walk. So your walk, in other words, is your witness. And so what Jesus knows and what Paul knows is that your walk and your witness is important because by your walk and by your witness, people know who you belong to. Let me explain it another way. Back in John 13 and verse 34 and 35, Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's speaking to his disciples and he makes this statement. In fact, he gives them this command. Verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus makes the connection that the way that we show who we are is by how we walk. And not only do we live our walk, but our walk is our witness. And so Paul comes in and says, I want you to walk in love. The danger though is a lot of times we think that we define what love is. And Paul wants to remind us that we define love by Christ's love for us. It's not defined by the popular culture. It's not defined by the latest magazine. It's not defined by the high school rhetoric. It's not defined by what people define it today. We define love by Christ's love for us. And so he qualifies that there in verse 2. And he says, and walk in love as Christ loved us. So he's making this connection of what love is, what love looks like, and how it is that we love. He says, I want you to love like Christ loved you. And that becomes very difficult. Because Christ never let his frustration get in the way of his love. 
Never let his anger get in the way of his love. Never let his disappointment get in the way of his love. Yesterday afternoon, about 1.30 in the afternoon, I had a two-year-old. He had a piece of ham about half the size of this guitar pick. And unfortunately for him, his parents had already told him he had to eat it. It's not his fault his parents backed themselves in a corner. It's his parents' fault. But now it's like a battle. And you parents, you understand this battle. You've told him to eat the piece of ham. He's looking at you going, I ain't eating the ham. I'm looking at him going, you're going to eat the ham. <laughs> and it escalates there amongst the family to the point that I gather up this two-year-old and him and I go upstairs where there's more space there's less people and nobody can hear him. And we're up there, 39-year-old dad and two-year-old boy, and we are having... And at some point in there, I wondered, what is the Christ-like thing to do in this moment? Now, may I go ahead and tell you, we came back downstairs and the food was in his stomach. So, we, the, the parents won that round. But at some point in that interchange, the anger starts to swell, the, acti- the attitude starts to swell, the frustration starts to swell. You start to think, well, because I am your father, you're going to do it because I told you to do it. You start to get mad at the child. The child starts to get mad at you. And this thing starts taking place. And people may say, well, what's the big deal? I'm telling you, that is a small picture of the bigger picture of life. Because that happens so many times in our daily lives. I get mad because he said this or she said this. I get mad because they did this or they didn't do that. I get upset. I get frustrated. And it's always a question of how am I going to respond? What am I going to do? Here in this passage, Paul says the reason why we practice our prayers, our faith, or the reason why we practice these disciplines so when the time comes and that battle comes, we can respond like Christ. You go back to that movie. You get towards the end of the movie and there's the battle scenes. They're in the tournament They're going at it. And and you see this calmness. You see this collectiveness. Why? Not because the battle or the opposition was any less intense. Because there was confidence on behalf of Daniel. You know, sometimes we forget that the things that we're doing today is preparing us for the obstacles and the hindrances and the, and the challenges that we have tomorrow. And so Paul reminds us, Paul says the reason why you're doing these things is so that you might walk in love. Because not every day will be easy. Not every day will be enjoyable. Not every day it will be just like you planned it. Sometimes there will be obstacles. Sometimes there will be hindrances. Sometimes there will be things that come along. And when we get to that point, the only thing that we will have to rely upon is not our desire to love that person or not that person's worth of being loved or not that person's attitude to say they even deserve to be loved. It's the fact that Christ loved me so I'm going to love them. And he said, and that is what it looks like to practice and produce godliness. 
So he reminds us that as Christ loved us, that is how we're to love one another. There's a musical group, DC Talk, years ago that coined the, firm, coined the phrase that love is a verb. And in fact, they had a couple of songs where they talked about love being a verb, love not being a noun. And that's what Paul is talking about here in verse 2. He says, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. He reminds us that we love as Christ loved us. We define love by how Christ loved us. And we understand that when we think about what this love looks like, we know what this love looks like because Christ came. We celebrated this last week. Not only did he come and he was born as a babe in the in the manger there in Bethlehem, but then he grew up, he gave his life, was crucified on a cross for our sins so that he might pay the price for our penalty of our sins. He was put in the grave, rose from the dead, defeated or uh, defeated death, had the victory over death. He is now at the right hand of the Father. He did all of these things, sacrificing his life so that you and I may have life today. That's why he came. That's what he did. So that we might be holy because he is holy so that we might have that confidence that way we might come and we might not just be here worshiping a dead God we might not just be here worshiping and hoping some deity somewhere hears us or knows about us we are here today because we know we have a risen savior and we get to come today and we get to practice those things that point other people to him and that's why we come Not because initially what we get out of it all the time. Not initially because it always makes sense. It's just because we know that it produces godliness in us. So so Paul wants to remind the reader. He wants to remind the church this is why you're doing what you are doing. I don't know about you but sometimes you wake up and you think boy today would be a good day to sleep in. I wish I could just sleep in today and I could just call in sick to work. But I'm going to tell you, the reason why you go to work is because you realize that you get something out of work. You get a paycheck from work. And so it's by going to work that you get the paycheck. And by you get the paycheck, you're able to pay your bills. And by paying your bills, you're able to have some level of comfort in your life. But then when it comes to church, people think, well, it's not the same thing. And Paul is saying it is the same thing. You are practicing today how you're going to play tomorrow. And you're living today how you're going to live tomorrow. And a world is watching you today to see who your loyalty is for today and for tomorrow. And then there's two practices that Paul talks about that then help us produce godliness. So then how do we know? How do we know then if we are growing individually or even as a church? How is it that we know if we are moving in that direction? Well, let me give you three uh, quick ways that we can measure our growth. Three quick ways that we can see, is that me? Am I imitating God and am I walking in love? Well, the first measure that I would give you is that our practices reveal what we are imitating. Our practices reveal what we are imitating. So, if you are consumed with God, then you will do the things of God. If you're consumed with basketball, then you'll do the things of basketball. If you're consumed with calligraphy, you'll do the things of calligraphy. If you're consumed with quilting, you'll do the things of quilting. If you are consumed with video games, you'll do the things of video games. Whatever it is that we are consumed with is that which which we are trying to imitate. And we wonder in this day and age why we have such young people that are much misguided and misled on what it means to be a man or a woman, be a biblical man or a biblical woman because they're not seeing it 
imitated in their lives around them. And he reminds us that we reveal what we are imitating. So it's not one of those things that I can come home and I can live how I want, speak how I want, do what I want, be what I want, and think my children are going to see God in me. That is not an accident. It's intentional. Not only that, but let me give you the second measurement. That love is the fruit of faith. That love is the fruit of faith. My love for God. My love for my Savior. My love for His Word. My love for the salvation He has afforded me. My love for you all. It is all a result and a fruit of my faith. The more that I love God, the more that I love you. The more that I love Jesus, the more that I love Jaylene. The more that I love God and His Word, the more that I love my family. The more that I love the things that God loves and the things that God has done for me, the more I love the people that God loves. And this love is a fruit of faith so many times a day we have these individuals and these young people and they're getting married and they're thinking they're getting married because they're in love and they think this idea of love is a feeling that it's something some type of an emotional thing that they're always going to have it and I look at them and say love is a choice the feeling will come and go (laughs) the choice is what keeps you together because there's going to be some days you're going to wake up and that feeling is not what it used to be And you got to choose to love God the same way that you choose to love your spouse. Because there's going to be some mornings that you're going to wake up on a Sunday and you're going to think, boy, today's a good Sunday to lay up. And, you know, I've made it the last 55 in a row, so I, I, I've got one coming. I've got a, I've got a, I've got a you know, an a, a exempt card coming. It's one of those things that you think, well, you know what? I'm just going to lay up this time or I'm just going to be out there this time. It's one of those things that you think you've done enough, you paid up enough, and, and it's one of those things that we choose every single day whether we love God more than we love this world. So it's by what we do when we get up, whether we read our Bible, whether we pray, whether we listen, whether we follow, whether we submit, whether we're faithful to God. Our love is the fruit of our faith. And then this last one, it will be done. Who or what are you offering your life to? See, see here, here in this passage, Paul is under no illusions. He understands that they are going to imitate something. He understands they are going to imitate something. And he also understands, looking there in verse 2, that they're going to walk in a certain direction. He understands that every single person is a reflection of someone else. He understands that every single person is going to look like someone else. He understands that every single person is going to act like, talk like, be like that person. And so he understands that when it comes to this Christian walk, you are going to imitate something and you're going to walk in some direction. So the question is, is are you going to imitate God? And are you going to walk in love like Christ? What is it that you are going to choose to do? To say, well, I'm not going to imitate anybody and I'm going to be like just me is a farce. You're going to look like someone else. You're going to talk like someone else. We use idioms and we use phrases and we use words that they don't use in other countries. We say things that people would understand here, but they wouldn't understand other places. I could go to Ecuador and I could say Sikkim and they would have no idea what I was saying. I could go to India and I could look at them and I could say pistols firing with a big old giant smile on my face. And they would have no idea what I was referring to. 
I could talk about having an ability to spot who lived where by the color of the mud on their vehicles. And, and they would have no idea what it is that I was talking about. There's a lot of things that we talk about here and they're simply a response or simply the result of us imitating life around us. So does this community look at First Baptist Church Wellston and see God in us because we're imitating God to the world? Does the world around us look at First Baptist Church Wellston and see the love of Christ in us? Because we are reflecting the love of Christ to the world. When it comes to these daily practices, when it comes to this life that we believe we've been called to live. When we think about what Paul has been saying up to this point in Ephesians and how it is that he wants us to act and behave and go about our daily lives. And sometimes we can start to think, what does it matter? And he reminds us that it matters because by these things, we both imitate God and we walk in love. So my challenge and my encouragement, my plead with you this morning, as we look in this coming year, so many times, some people will make New Year's resolutions. Sometimes people will come along and say, well, now that we got 2021, I'm sure it's going to be better. And especially with this last year and the COVID and the sickness and all the political stuff, people are going, oh, oh, 2020, 2021's got to be better than 2020. Why? So instead of hoping on a different calendar, instead of hoping in a vaccine or hoping in a political party, why not put our hope that we're just going to look like God? We're going to look like God, talk like God, act like God, be like God, respond like God. And we're going to kind of be the kind of people that we're going to be practicing our love for God. So when our opportunity comes to love the world like we love God, it won't be much of a challenge. Because we'll spend all this time practicing how we're going to play when the moment comes. So my question for you this morning is what are you imitating? What is your life imitating today? Is it imitating the consumerism? Is it imitating the world's possessions, the world's priorities? Is it imitating faith in something else besides God? Is it imitating a love for this world more than a love for God? And how is it that you're walking? Are you walking by faith with hope and trust in the salvation that you have in Jesus Christ? Or are you walking by your own intelligence, by your own ability, with the promises of this world? What is it that you're living for today? Would you bow your heads with me?